encourage you to come on in. We got a lot of people still in the back as we start up this morning. Make your way into the auditorium and settle down for a little bit. Um, so this morning, the slide that's up this morning, I don't know if you guys know this, but my husband Al always puts these slides together, and that's a photo that I took a couple of years ago, and I hadn't seen it for a while. I walked in this morning like, oh, that is so pleasant. Does anybody know what flower that is? Anybody? We have a big No. Nobody does. <laughs> That's a mayflower or a hepatica. I bet you, Eric, did you know? No, nobody did. Okay, so this flower is, it's always been my favorite spring flower. It's like one of the very first ones to come up. It's a woodland flower. When I was a kid back in our woods, there was a, an area that grew 
Mayflowers every year. They every year they were out there, and they come in like purples and pinks and whites. And I'd always go pick a handful of them for my mom, and she'd have a little vase up on her sink with Mayflowers in it. So, Mayflower is really sentimental to me. It makes me happy, but it's like one of the first. You know, right now everything is so dirty looking, and it's just starting to green up. So, if you're in the woods, watch for them. That's a Mayflower. So, all right, we're gonna start this morning. If you stand up, and we're gonna start some worship.
You may be seated. The joy to gather with you this morning as we celebrate what we just sang, right? That we have a God who does great things on our behalf, great things for us in Jesus. We get to celebrate that we have a God who does those great things. If you're new or you're visiting, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. We're glad that you're here with us this morning as we join together to worship our great God. If you are new or visiting, you'll see in the seat back in front of you, there is a, a connect card. We would invite you to fill that out. Give us your name, uh, information. If there's anything you'd like to know about the church, you can write that on there. Or anything you'd like the church to know, you know, to put that on there and then drop it in the boxes on the back wall on your way out. The boxes are also where a tithe and offering can go this morning. If you're visiting, please know we're not going to expect you to give, but if you do want to give to what we're doing here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church, you can place tithes and offerings in those boxes. A couple of, of announcements to bring to your attention. As a church, we talk about how we want to be about three things. We want to be about reaching people with the gospel, growing to be like Christ, and serving others. And so there's a few ways to do each of those things in your bulletin. When it comes to reaching people with the gospel, coming up this Tuesday, we'll be hosting the, the mission or the community dinner at Rock Mission Center. So if you're available to help either package those meals or to help distribute those meals, you can contact the church office and you can get more information about how to um, participate in that. When it comes to growing to be like Christ, one of the ways we want to invite you to grow is by stepping into membership here at our church. It's a way to kind of put your flag in the ground and say, I belong here, I want to be a part of this community. And so if that is you, you want to be involved and um, a member in that way, there's a membership class coming up on May 14th. That's a Saturday. It'll be from 9 a.m. to noon. Um, if you are interested in that, you can talk to me or you can email the office or you can write it on that Connect card and drop it in the box on your way out and we will be in contact with you. <clears throat> when it comes to serving others, there's a number of ways to do that. One is coming up next Saturday, May 7th. We'll have a, a cleanup day here at the church. You're probably undoubtedly aware, like over the winter, there was lots of um, limbs down and different things just from the winter. So we want to get that cleaned up, um, especially before the Fun Club Carnival, which is coming up on, on May 11th. There's also another way you can serve. We're still looking for a few more people to, to volunteer to help with that. And so if you want to be a part of that, that's just like a great blessing to just the families of our community, like all that Fun Club has been. If you want to just kind of, the way to also reach out to the community to serve, but also to um, yeah, just meet needs. We would invite you, encourage you to be a part and help with that um, carnival on May 11th. And one other note, on, on Sunday, June 5th, we'll have our annual meeting at the church, and so we would invite you, encourage you to... Um, make plans to be a part of that. When it comes to um, reaching, another way we reach people with the gospel is through supporting different missionaries and ministries. And so we, today, hopefully you sign your way in, have Camp Daniel here with us. 
Um, and so we're going to watch a, a video talking about what Camp Daniel does, and then we're going to hear from a representative for Camp Daniel.
connecting with one another through competition and day-to-day activities creates a unique atmosphere that makes Camp Daniel such a special place. These activities that take place during a week of camp strive to meet the goal of Camp Daniel to inspire personal, social, and spiritual growth in each individual that shares the experience. He's going to tell us a little bit more about camp and what they got going on there coming up this summer. Thank you, Pastor. Um, I'm just going to share for what, 30, 35 minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Five minutes he told me I could have. So I appreciate uh, you letting us come and take your pulpit, and we appreciate you listening to us. Um, We are in need of counselors for our camp. That's the number one reason we're here. Um, uh, The Werners are here. Raise your hand, Werners. Right in the front. Uh, They're instrumental in the fact that we're here again this year. It's been quite a number of years since we've spoken here. Uh, There was pews here the last time, so I don't know how long that's been. Uh, Eli was the youth pastor at the time. And... uh, uh, so we've had a lot of people come through Camp Daniel from this church, um, so we're thankful for this church. Uh, uh, my son-in-law is from this church. Raise your hand, Evan. Uh, he met uh, my daughter at our camp, and they got married, and uh, uh, here we are all these years later. Um, so behind me is playing just some pictures of, oh, those are pictures of, uh, well, that's Evan and youth group. He's in the yellow. Um, uh, the youth group used to come, and many others. Where's Fran at? Fran, where, how, how old are you? <laughs> so Camp Daniel is for everybody. We have campers ages 8 to 80. Uh, our oldest counselor this year is, what, 89. 
So anybody can be a counselor at Camp Daniel. A lot of the video you see is uh, young people in the pictures. We're probably about 40 to 50 percent young people, uh, but we need counselors of every age because we have counselor campers of every age, and we want to match up campers and counselors together. Um, so I'm just going to quickly give you the fastest sermon on disability ministry that you're ever going to hear. In Exodus 4, there's a guy named Moses. God says to him, Moses, I need you to do this thing for me. You're going to do this really grand, incredible thing. Moses says, I cannot do it. Uh, and God says, well, why can't you do it? And Moses says, I can't do it because you made me wrong. You screwed up when you made me. I have a disability. Um, I don't have the ability to do the things you want. What God, what, what you placed in me was weakness in the world's eyes. Um, and God, in my mind, I think he laughs, but God says, I know exactly who you are. I made you. I created you. I made disability. I made people who can speak and not speak. I made people who could see and not, and not see. I made people who could hear and not hear. So in that verse, God was very plain to say that he created weakness on purpose for a reason. Pre-sin in the garden. This is something that happened. We can go back to uh, Adam and Eve and God made Adam. And soon after he made Adam, he said, you need help. You need to be dependent, and he made Eve to help him. So from the beginning, we were meant to be dependent beings. We've tried to ream that out of ourselves in so many ways. I don't like to ask for help. Um, I'm forced to get up and beg for help uh, in situations like this on a regular basis, um, and it's a good thing for me to be able to do that. So one of the great gifts of people with disabilities is that they teach us about dependence. dependence. They teach us about humbleness. They teach us about those simple things, um, and those are good qualities to have. They're not bad bad qualities. So uh, you heard three campers talk in the video, God loves me, God made me, God has a plan for my life. Those are three things we constantly teach at Camp Daniel. We try to get our campers to understand those three simple statements, and then they're on their way to have a relationship with Jesus. That's the bottom line. We are missionaries uh, into the disability culture that exists in the world, and uh, we do that primarily through camps, uh, but we also have three churches, one in Green Bay, one in Sheboygan, one in Chicago, where it's church kind of for and by people with disabilities. We do special events. We have uh, 10, 11 missionaries that are full-time with us uh, doing what we do. Uh, we do a lot of special events. we got a dance coming up the 1st of June. Uh, we do parties at our camp. We do a variety of different things. We do Special Olympics in Crivets, and then we also have a team in Green Bay. We're the only church-based Special Olympics team in the state. We won gold medal uh, two Saturdays ago, right, at State uh, Basketball Special Olympics. Um, all opportunities to reach out and share the love of Jesus with people with disabilities. Otherwise, they probably are not going to hear the gospel because our churches tend not to reach out to people with disabilities. Less than 10% of our churches across the nation have any outreach people with disabilities, and we're talking over 50 million people. So probably the largest unchurched, unreached people group in America are people with disabilities. And when I gather with a national organization, there's probably 250 other ministries that I know of that do this full time. Um, so it's an incredibly large field and incredibly large need. Uh, we're gifted to be able to use camp. The government will pay certain amounts of camp funding for campers to come to our camp knowing that it's Christian, knowing that the gospel is going to be presented. But the bottom line is the only way for that to happen is if somebody steps up to share the love of Jesus with somebody for a week. So you come on Sunday night, you come here Sunday morning, 
pastor will preach, he'll pray for you, you'll go on a missions trip, it doesn't cost you anything, you're there for a week, you come back the following Saturday morning, uh, we not only need counselors, but we need people to help in the kitchen, we need people to help out in the grounds, uh, to fish, to whatever, given thing you do at any given camp. We're very typical in our camping program, it's just very adapted. Um, so there's a lot of things that you can do. Uh, you're invited to come out, we're getting ready to have a grand opening, all the pictures, video you saw was at a camp we rent, uh, probably about 10 miles from us. We've been building a campground for 25 years. A number of you have been there and volunteered on work days, and we're thankful for that. Uh, it's been entirely, probably 90% built by volunteers. Uh, it's a very unique uh, and uh, creative a place, uh, it's, it's, we want to spark that in our campers and in our counselors and volunteers. Um, but you're invited to come out to our grand opening. Somebody's got to tell me when it is. June 18th. June 18th. Um, it's a day with uh, food. What time is it? Do you know? Starts at 1, goes up till the nighttime. We're going to have fireworks at the end. There's a little service in the middle of it. There's food on all day. Uh, you can go on a tour and see everything we have. You see the theater, a diner, uh, all the cool things are at camp. Uh, we're excited to show that off. So uh, if you want to come out, please do. Um, I'm sure the Werners are coming. They'll probably drive you in their car if you really want to come. So um, again, Pastor, I thank you for the time, and thank you guys for uh, listening to me for this little bit. We want to pray for our camp. Danith, would you join me in, in prayer? Father God, we thank you for the work you're doing through Camp Daniel and through the staff there and the volunteers there. Um, just the, the, the work you're doing to reach this group of people with disabilities and it's a, a way to, to reach them with the gospel and to Show them and remind them that you love them and that you have a plan for their life. And um, We pray that you would be at work now to provide the, the counselors that Camp Daniel needs, the other volunteers that they need for this summer. I pray that you continue to work in and through them um, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. We thank you for the work they're doing. We thank you for all that takes place there. and pray that you would be glorified as you continue to work in that place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'd invite you to just continue to worship with us. Alright, let's stand this morning. We're going to worship and prepare for the sermon in front of us.
with Jesus. He came and he lived and died on our behalf on the cross. God, would you help us, remind us that we cannot do this life in our own power. Remind us of our, our desperate need of Jesus. So we call out, when we cry out for his help and for him to be with us. Father, give us Jesus. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. May I be seated. There's a the podcast I listen to on occasion. It's called a podcast of unnecessary detail. Right? So it's a podcast in which there's three hosts. Like they're all very nerdy types. They're my kind of people. Right? And so they choose a topic for the week, and then as as the name suggests, they go into unnecessary levels of detail about various aspects of that topic. So recently there's an episode about emotions, and one of the hosts, as their topic, chose the, uh, the topic of blushing. And one of the things they discussed about blushing in that podcast, I never really thought about, is that like, blushing is something that can't really be faked. Right? Like you, can't, you can't make yourself blush. You can't will yourself to blush. Right? And usually, you like the opposite of what you want. Right? You want to like avoid blushing. Right? But that's an important fact about blushing because the fact that you can't fake it allows blushing to kind of function as a type of test of whether you're really embarrassed or not. Right? Like, or did that person who called me Jack instead of Tim, right, do they really feel bad about calling me the wrong name or are they just pretending to feel bad in order to save face? Blushing is kind of an embarrassment lie detector test. And there for me perhaps no worse kind of embarrassment, nothing that's going to produce more blushing than public humiliation. Like doing something in public in front of lots and lots of people that will be embarrassing. That's like the worst kind of humiliation. Like one example of this. If you, if you search, if you look, go on YouTube and you sell or search athletes who celebrated too soon, you won't believe how many different clips there are of athletes who get caught celebrating before they've won. One of the feel-good stories of this past Winter Olympics was that Lindsay Jacobellis finally won a gold medal in her fifth Olympics. It took five Olympics for her to finally win a gold medal. But what made her victory so especially sweet was that in her first Olympics in 2006, during the finals of her snowboard cross event, Lindsay Jacob Ellis had a huge, seemingly insurmountable three-second lead on the competition, like coming up to the final stretch of the race. And so snowboard cross is like you're racing on snowboards down this kind of course with jumps and stuff. So on the last jump with this huge lead, Lindsay Jacob Ellis decides she's going to celebrate a little early. And so she does like a trick off the last jump that she didn't need to do. And because she did that trick, she crashed and got past. She got back up, mentioned second, but she got past for first place. Or recently, there's a runner for the University of Oregon. 
right, who in the steeplechase event thought he was well in the clear. So he started pumping up the crowd. As he came to the finish line, he was celebrating. And he had like 25 meters left. He was celebrating, pumping up the crowd. And then he got caught from behind by another runner. Or football, right? The number of times I've seen a football player like start celebrating at the at the five yard line or the three yard line, thinking they've got a touchdown in the bag, only to be tackled from behind at the last second, is is shocking. You think people would learn? Right? Yet it happens all the time. Right? And in all these cases, right? it's an abundance of of pride and a desire for for self congratulation that leads to embarrassment. Or to put it another way, a lack of humility leads to humiliation. And that's kind of the decision we're presented with as we come to our passage in Luke this morning. Jesus is going to call on each of us in this passage to choose humility now or humiliation later. Which do you want? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 this morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there, starting in verse 1. When we were last in the book of Luke, or kind of before our Easter series, we've been in a stretch of Luke where there's lots of Jesus is teaching, teaching a lot about kind of the central primary theme of the kingdom of God. That kind of the Jesus kind of central theme in this section. He kind of picks up that theme today, talking more and more about the kingdom of God. In this passage, Jesus is describing through a series of teaching what it looks like to be a good citizen of the kingdom. And here in this passage, he teaches primarily that to be a good citizen of the kingdom of God involves being humble. Humility is an essential character trait of a member of the kingdom of God. To see that, let's read our passage together, starting at verse 1 of Luke 14. We're going to read the first six verses to start. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. So this should sound familiar by this point in Luke. Right Here we are again on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are, are looking to see how Jesus is going to respond. Right? It's the fundamental difference between Jesus and the Pharisees over the question, like, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? So just notice the setup here. Right? Jesus is invited to the house of a prominent Pharisee. And we're, we're told that when he arrives at the house, they're carefully watching him. And lo and behold, like, what do you know? Like, there just so happens when he shows up to be a man in need of healing right there in front of him. Right? Seems pretty clear. This is a setup by the Pharisees to see how Jesus will respond. Like, they're, looking to, they're looking to trap Jesus. So continuing in verse 3, this is how Jesus responds. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So, taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, 
will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Right? There's this evolution of how the Pharisees respond to Jesus on these like, Sabbath conflicts. Right? So the first time Jesus and the Pharisees fight on the Sabbath, we're told that the Pharisees are furious. That's in Luke chapter 6. And then in Luke 13, we're told that they leave humiliated from the same kind of confrontation. So they are furious, then they're humiliated, and now here, they seem to realize that fighting Jesus on this issue, they're losing battle. So they just remain silent. They have nothing to say. But ultimately, the reason like this issue of healing on the Sabbath is so important to the Pharisees is a matter of pride. Because the Pharisees, right, they want to be seen as these people who uphold the law, as these great bastions of morality. Right? They want to be looked at as like the most holy and the most righteous people around. And one of the ways they do that is by not only keeping the Old Testament law as it's written, but by keeping an even stricter version with rules on top of that law. So that people will look at them and they'll say, look, wow, look how holy, look how righteous, look how great the Pharisees are. They keep this crazy hard, strict law. They want to be seen as righteous and as holy. They are, they are proud and they love getting attention for their holiness. But then Jesus comes along. Right? And what Jesus points out here. It's that humility involves, involves valuing compassion more than your reputation. Right? Jesus knew. Right? He was not surprised. He knew that like, healing on the Sabbath would make the Pharisees look down on him. And if the Pharisees looked down on him, then, then anyone in Israel who wanted to be seen as holy and righteous and upstanding would, like, by extension, they would look down on him Two. The Pharisees, like they're, the, they're the moral trendsetters for those who wanted to be perceived as morally upstanding. Like kind of how like in high school, like maybe you thought, like, Man, if I could just become friends with the, the quarterback, right, then all the other cool kids would like me too. Like, I kind of like that, get that one guy to like me, and then everybody else will like me too. Right? Maybe I just thought that. It doesn't work, by the way. But in Israel, right, it was like, if I, if I can just get the Pharisees right, to think that I'm a good person, right, then everyone else will too. Right? If the Pharisees think I'm all right, then everyone else will think I'm all right. right. But then Jesus shows up, and he's utterly unconcerned about his reputation in the eyes of the Pharisees. Right? Instead, he's more concerned with showing compassion. If far more important to him that he show compassion to this man by healing him than it is to appease the Pharisees by complying with their ultra-strict Sabbath rules. For Jesus, showing compassion is far more important than his reputation. And when Jesus does the compassionate thing here in this passage... It probably seems obvious like that that's the right thing to do. Like to us reading it now as we are, like it seems obvious that that's the right thing to do. Like of course you should do the compassionate thing instead of the self-serving thing. But then I like think about my own life. 
And I like kind of embarrassingly easy to think about times when I've let my pride, my concern over my reputation stand in the way of doing the right or the compassionate thing. For example, like one place that pride tends to show itself in my life is that I really don't like admitting that I don't know something. Like, and so like, if someone's talking to me about you know, their, their job or something going on in their life and they're telling me about something and they, they think that I kind of know what's going on, like, I'm really bad at asking clarifying questions or admitting that I don't know what's going on. I just want to kind of pretend that I got it all figured out. I don't like admitting that I don't know. So I kind of play along and I pretend. And a lot of times, like, that works out fine. Like, it's not a big deal. But there have been times when my lack of willingness to ask questions and to admit my ignorance has prevented me from asking meaningful questions, like following up in compassionate ways. And my, my concern over my reputation, my, my pride in those circumstances, causes me to show a lack of compassion to that person. It's like, in light of that, I just consider you to consider. Right? Are there areas in your life right, where your pride, like, or your concern about your own reputation causes you to act in a way where you don't show as much compassion as you could. And maybe you don't show compassion to a certain people because you don't want to be perceived in a certain way for hanging out with them. Maybe you, maybe you pass on opportunities to show compassion because it means taking time away from activities that make you look good. Are there areas in your life where you choose your own reputation, your own standing over opportunities to show compassion to others? Whatever area that may be for you, I just encourage you to ask yourself, are there areas in my life where I can grow in humility, where I can put pride to death and become more like Jesus by valuing compassion more and my reputation less. So that's, that's one aspect of what Jesus, Jesus has to teach us about humility here in this passage. But there's more. Continuing in verse 7, we read this. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. It's interesting that Jesus uses the word parable there. We'll come back to why in a second, but just note, he says, he told them this parable. To verse 8. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. And then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. So usually when we think about parables, like we think about stories of some kind that teach a lesson. But what Jesus just said in these verses sounds more like, like rules or like directions on how to behave at a wedding feast. It's not really a, not really a story. So why does Luke call what he just said a parable? And that's like, it's Luke's way of saying that what Jesus says here, what Jesus teaches here, has application beyond just wedding feasts. Right? Like, this is not just rules about where to sit at a wedding. Right? It's a principle underlying these things that can be applied to many areas of life. It goes beyond just weddings. Right? And the principle that Jesus is getting at here ultimately is that humility involves considering others I wrote better up there and near your bulletin. Like, I think I should have wrote more valuable. If you want to, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, like, fix that. Like, humility involves considering others more valuable than yourself. But a big feast during this time in Israel, like, there was like, this clearly delineated order of where people should sit based on their, their level of honor and importance. So, Jesus. Jesus here envisions someone arriving at a, at a wedding party and deciding where they should go sit. And we see this choice laid out between humility now or possible humiliation later. The person can choose to be humble now and go sit in a seat of low honor, of low importance. But that's maybe a little embarrassing now to admit that you're kind of that low. The person can choose humility now by sitting in a low seat, or they can risk being humiliated later when they're asked to move to a lower seat. As some of you know, I like to play pickleball. And when I play with a club here in town, we play over at the school, and there's typically three courts set up. And on some days, especially when it's Busy, like those courts will kind of be divided into a beginner court, an intermediate court, and an advanced court. And you can choose, it's up to you, like what court you want to play on. Right? No one's there kind of saying, you go here, you go there. Like you just, you choose. Right? And these things are relative, of course, right? Like in the grand scheme of things, like I'm not a very good pickleball player, right? But for Three Lakes, I. I, uh, I, typically, I typically play on the advanced court. Or like I, like I, I, can, I can hold my own in three legs. So I typically, typically play on the advanced court. Right? And there's nothing more, more awkward, more uncomfortable than someone who like, thinks they're good enough to play on the advanced court, but really they have no business being there. Like they're not actually that good. Like this, it's awkward to be like, how do you handle this situation? Right? It can also be incredibly frustrating, right? Because you kind of get randomly assigned who your partner is. And so if you get paired with a person who thinks they're better than they are, like it makes it very difficult to win. And I'm a little bit competitive, and so it like, <laughs> gets annoying. Right? Of course, like every pickleball, like they're all like these overly nice Midwesterners, and so... No one actually has the audacity to say something to the person who thinks they're better than they are. Like, we just kind of let them keep playing. We kind of grin and we bear it. 
right, but the host in Jesus' parable here, right, he has no such qualms. He goes up to the person who thinks more highly of themselves than they ought, and he tells them, like, go move to a lower seat. And Jesus says, like, that being told to go to a lower seat is a humiliating experience. So Jesus says, instead, what you should do is, like, take the lower seat first, and then be, wait and see if you're invited up to the higher one. And by, by taking the lower seat, you're showing that you consider others more valuable than yourselves. And Paul states the principle in Philippians 2, verses 2 through 3, when he says, do, or 3 through 4, when he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Value others above yourself and look to the interest of others above your own. There's a fine line to walk here. That's the line between genuine humility and false humility. Like notice how in this passage, when the host comes and he invites the man up to a higher seat, the person doesn't respond by saying, oh no, like I, I'm not worthy of a higher seat. I'm a lowly, scum-of-the-earth human. Like You should not invite me up. I'm going to stay right here. Like he doesn't, that's not how he responds. That would be false humility. In the same way, like in pickleball, it would, be, it would do no one any good if I went and played on the beginner court, saying like, oh, I'm terrible at this game, and then proceeded to smash the ball as hard as I could against beginner players. Like that would do no one any good. Like false humility, ironically, is just another form of pride. Where we seem to puff ourselves up by, by showing off just how humble we can be. How humble we are. True humility, Paul says, means valuing others above yourself and looking to the interests of others. So if I go play pickleball on the beginner court, I'm not valuing those that I'm playing against because I'm making their experience worse. Likewise, if, if the man in this parable had refused the host invitation, when the host says, come up to a higher seat, if he said, no, 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 he would not have been looking at the host's interest. Right? He would have been making a scene, he would have been embarrassing the host in order to show off his own humility. It would be false humility. And Paul again helps us navigate the line between true humility and false humility in Romans 12 when he writes, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. He said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But then the reverse is true as well, which is, like, don't think of yourself more lowly than you ought. Instead, you should think of yourself with sober judgment, with honest assessment, in accordance with the faith that God has given you. If we think of ourselves more lowly than we ought... 
All we're doing then is we're downplaying the work that God has done in our lives. We're downplaying the gifts that God has given us. And that's no better than overt pride. But if we're constantly thinking about people around us and thinking of them as more valuable than us, as seeing them as highly valuable and thinking of their interest, we will naturally act with humility towards them. So as you interact with other people, I just urge you, like in light of this passage, like see people as valuable. Even people who maybe have made mistakes, people who you perceive as less successful than you, people who, for whatever reason, you think less of, like, see them as valuable. They have value as image bearers of God. God made them in His image as much as He made you in His image. So see people as valuable. Look not only to your own interests, look to the interests of others as well. If you do those things, if you see people as valuable, if you look after their interest, you will act with humility towards them. Jesus continues the teaching on humility. Then in verse 12, we read this. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the kingdom, one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Right, so in this time period, if you were going to throw a big party, you would really extend two invitations. There would be a preliminary, kind of general invitation to get a sense of how many people are coming. And then when everything is set, everything is ready, there will be a second invitation to tell people, actually, okay, now it's time. You can come to the party now. And so in this story, we see a bunch of people who, like, when the invitation was first issued, 
They reply, yeah, yeah, we'll come. That sounds great. We will be there. But now the meal is actually ready. And they start to make some kind of bad excuses for why they can't attend. Like, like, like I have just bought a field. Like, I must go and see it. Like, gonna be there tomorrow, dude. Like, <laughs> fields don't change that fast. Like, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Like, again, like, they'll work just as well tomorrow. Right? Or like, I just got married, so I can't come. Ah, yes, like, the blame the spouse trick. Right? Like, that, that's the key right there to a happy marriage. Right? Blame, blame the spouse. Right? And look, I'm an introvert, right? and so I can, I can sympathize with like, committing to a social event ahead of time and then desperately, look, desperately looking for an excuse to get out of it when the time actually comes. Like, I've been there. Like, I, I know how it goes, right? but these are some pretty bad excuses. And nevertheless, like, the host is undeterred. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't throw a fit and like, demand that like, these people honor their prior commitments. Right? He, just, he moves on. Instead, he sends his servant back out into the streets and into the alleys, and he invites the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And then he sees like there's still room, so he sends his servant out even further, out into the, the country lanes and the roads outside of the city to invite more people in. And then doing all this, the host is exemplifying another aspect of true humility, which is, True humility involves a willingness to associate with all kinds of people. Right? The host doesn't say, well, like the social elite that I invited can't make it, so I guess the party's off. Right? He doesn't cancel the party. Instead, he, he puts into practice Jesus' command a few verses earlier. Jesus had said, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's relatively easy to show hospitality and kindness to people who are like us, to people we get along with, to people we fit with, to people we can expect some kind of payback from. But it takes humility to show kindness and hospitality to people who are different than us, people who can't pay us back, to people who we don't naturally connect with quite as well. But Jesus urges us to show hospitality to those people, to those who can't pay us back, to those who aren't like us. And he promises that when we do that, when we show hospitality to those who can't pay us back, we'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And I, I know I'm guilty of, of this. Like, I like to spend time with and show hospitality to people who like, I'm comfortable with, or people who I have a lot in common with. It's easy to hang out with them, invite them over for dinner, to join them for some event. Right? But it's harder for me to step out of my comfort zone and to show hospitality to those who are not like me, just those who are different than me those who I don't connect with as easily. 
Maybe you find yourself in the same position. It can be hard to reach out to those who are not like us, who seem far away from us. But thankfully, we have the ultimate example of what this looks like when it's put into practice. Because this story at the end of Luke 14 isn't just some random dinner party. It's a story that's ultimately a picture of how God himself relates with humanity. God is, in this analogy, he's the host of the dinner party. And it's the religious elite of Israel that are those who were invited at first and who first were coming to come in and then made excuses for why they couldn't come to the party. So the religious, religious elite of Israel have rejected God and his plans and so God then extends his invitation further out to the outcast and the, the downtrodden of Israel. They're the ones who are in the streets and the alleys. And then God sees there is still room in the kingdom and so he extends the invitation even further to those outside of Israel, to the Gentiles. They're the ones that are represented by those on the country lanes, those outside the city. In our sin, we were entirely unworthy to come before God. We were outcast. We were crippled and lame and blind morally. But God, the master of the banquet, still invited us in. And through Jesus, he makes us worthy to come in to the banquet. Because he sent Jesus to live in this life, to die on a cross on our behalf, and be raised from the dead. Like, because of that, because of Jesus, like our sins are forgiven, we are worthy of entering the kingdom. I'm so thankful that God did not deem me beyond hope. To leave me on my own to figure out for myself. There was no hope for me on my own. So I'm so thankful that God was willing to associate with all kinds of people. Even sinners like me. Paul tells us in Romans that It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. We were wicked, we were God's enemies, and He sent Jesus to die for us. And ultimately, if we have a right understanding of our sin, and how our sin separates us from God, we can't help but be humble. can't help but understand that we don't deserve any of the good things that come to us. That every good thing that comes to us is a, a gracious gift of God. So if you're here this morning, right, maybe you feel outcast, maybe you feel like there's no way you could ever be good enough for God, maybe you feel too far removed to ever be right with God. The hope and the glorious truth of 
fifth passage is that God extends the call to all who would come. It's, it's responding to God's invitation to come to the banquet, to come into His kingdom that makes one worthy through Jesus. So if you here, you never trusted Jesus. Right? No, there's nothing you've done that is too wicked, too sinful for God to undo through Jesus and to make you worthy to come into the kingdom. And likewise for us who are here who have, have known and trusted in Jesus, like this story should give us confidence as we share Jesus with other people. This, the passage makes clear that God is at work and He is going to fill His kingdom. He is going to bring the people He desired into His kingdom through faith in Jesus. He invites us as the Father to be part of inviting other people to join that kingdom. He delights to work through us, encouraging us to go and share the gospel with others. And so we can go, we can reach out to all kinds of people. We can share with them the love and the good news of Jesus. And trust that as we share the gospel, as we tell people about Jesus, God will work to fill His kingdom. It doesn't depend on us. It's God who works. But we get to play a role in that by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we come before you For myself, I confess that so often I get wrapped up in pride and in making myself look good and in worrying about how I'll be perceived. And pride in that work in my life more often than I'd like to admit. I praise you that you're at work through your spirit to conform me more and more to the image of your son and I pray for each of us here as we seek to grow in humility that by the power of your spirit at work in us You would help us grow. You would help us defeat pride and grow in humility so that our lives would glorify you. Not so that we would look good, but so that you would look good, that you would be honored, you'd be glorified in our lives. Would we love others well? Would we value others above ourselves that we willingly associate with all kinds of people that we show compassion even at the expense of our reputation for your glory Pray in Jesus name Amen
As you go from here this morning, as you go out into the world, would you go seeking to live humble lives in which you consider others more valuable than yourself? You are dismissed.